Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Nectar Economakis. He's a partner at the PNR. Nectar, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Thanks for pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> I, this this was the second take. <laughs> no, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing at uh, PNR is is very much needed. But maybe before we get into that space, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. For sure, for sure. So first off, thanks for having me on the show. So I'm pretty excited to be chatting. Uh, so as you could probably guess by my name, I have a, my background is Greek. <laughs> my parents sure. immigrated from Greece uh, in cool. the late 70s, but I was, I was born and raised in Montreal. So uh, really Canadian, but also consider myself uh, a bit Greek. I was forced to, to learn the language. So I kind of try and keep Keep that side, keep that culture. Very cool. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm really down. I'm Canadian, and I love hockey <laughs> and sure. cold winters. And, <laughs> uh, so I grew up in Montreal, and uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I love I love the, the city, and I love uh, I love what I do. That's very cool. Yeah, no, I think Montreal's my one of my favorite Canadian cities. So I I think it's beautiful, and if anybody. Basically, I tell people if you want to come to Canada, you you need to go see like three places. You well, you could maybe argue a bit more like Montreal, Vancouver. You should go see the Rockies and like Banff or Jasper. And then if you get a chance, like Quebec City's really cool, and, and parts of like Prince Edward Island and stuff are are, are very nice. But uh, the middle's kind of boring in my opinion. So no, I, I love Montreal. I think it's a great city. Um, so you went to university. What did you take and why? So they, what I took, I went to Concordia here in Montreal, and um, I kind of fell into marketing uh, haphazard. Like uh, I knew I wanted to okay. be in the business side. My uh, growing up, my dad had a, a small fruit market, a small grocery store. Okay. And um, I always kind of liked the you know the commerce business side, and in marketing, I just kind of fell into it wasn't like a master plan I was like oh I kind of like this this whole communication side how do you influence uh, people how do you get your message across and uh, just started doing a, a bachelor's in marketing after I graduated I uh, I also kind of got lucky by landing a job in uh, in digital marketing okay. so I worked a, at a small agency and started doing uh, digital marketing in the early days of the web so in like the early 2000s gotcha. where it was still embryonic it was still growing so I got to learn a lot and at the same time there was this whole new field that didn't exist and it was just just really getting started so that really kind of like drove me to want to learn more get better in, in that and as as you know, like the 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 web is has <laughs> become what it is today. Sure. Back then, it was still so new, so it was it was really uh, it was really great for me because I was able to kind of learn and, and grow with the industry. Very cool. So, walk me through your career, and then you went back to to university, and then you continued a career. So, walk us through that journey up until uh, you 
well, I guess the the P PNR. Absolutely. So yeah. So like uh, like as I was saying, I worked in the agency space, so marketing communications and digital. Uh, I went from a smaller agency to a bigger agency where I was like uh, running a team of, uh, of of digital experts. So right. I was like. Uh, uh, we were working with some really big brands like Bell Canada, BMW, WestJet. Uh, and at the same time, I decided to pursue a master's okay. uh, part-time. Okay, very cool. So I was, was going to school in the evening <laughs> after work, which was a wow. little hard. Um, but it was worth it because I, was, I, I wanted to pursue a deeper level of knowledge uh, in my field. And I didn't want to do an MBA because I've already gotten that, that base in, uh, in, my, in my bachelor's. So I pursued a... Uh, 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 something called an MSc, so Masters of Science of Administration, where uh, I ended up doing a thesis and a research project that ended up getting published. So it was pretty cool. It was Very in cool. 2008, 2009. Uh, and I used that as a stepping stone uh, to get a job at Google, so like the big mega tech company, Sure. Um, where I was lucky enough to be the, the first person hired here in Quebec on the wow. business development side. Okay, interesting. Uh, which was fun, which was uh, basically a rocket ship. Google was still, still growing so quickly. Sure. I, was, I was lucky enough to be part of a team that uh, we're, we're building and hiring uh, a sales team here in Quebec, So that which was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, very cool. So walk me through coming up with PNR and what exactly is it? So yeah, I'll start with what I experienced at Google. So I'll give you the founding story. So when I was at Google, um, I was working with executives, with, with CEOs of companies, trying to explain to them what the internet is, essentially. Sure, yeah, <laughs> getting them to, to spend more on Google's properties. The one thing I realized uh, during my time there was, Sure, you know, the, this whole technology slash digital thing is important when it comes to marketing, but I was trying to, to, to convince people that it, it runs much deeper than that. Okay. So the way that they think about structuring their marketing team, the, the way that they budget, the way that they operate, it's not just about, you know, buying more clicks. Um, but I was kind of met with apprehension because I was there as a sales guy, right? So which makes uh, sense, okay. but I really truly believed it. And that kind of led me to this insight of like, okay, well, it's the, the, this, this huge technology shift run, runs much deeper than marketing strategy. It really is something that needs to happen at the, at the corporate strategy level. Sure. Uh, so the idea I had with, with two buddies was, how do we start a company to solve this, right? How do we help uh, company leaders figure out these huge tectonic shifts in, in the landscape and help them take advantage. It is, it's not just simply a question of building a website or adding a CRM platform. It's really thinking about it at, at the highest echelon of, of, of decision-making and strategy-making in the company. So that led us to starting a, a management consulting firm, which uh, we, we call uh, the PNR, which is short for Point of No Return, which is a whole separate story, which I could talk about. Yeah, no, I'm curious. How, how did you come up with that name? So yeah, the name point of no return. Uh, we we kind of create an acronym to make it sound more institutional friendly, but the the, the more kind of like uh, edgy name comes from the fact of um, well, when I when I decided to resign from Google, he offered me like a six month sabbatical. It's like, hey, why don't you go and try your startup thing, and if it doesn't work out, uh, you can come back. And for me, I obviously had to decline for for two reasons. One, I couldn't have that hanging over the head of my partners, like in, just in terms of like just trust, you know, yeah, we're in this for, we're going to jump in with both feet. And also for me, six, 
six months wasn't enough time to say, is this a success or a failure? So when we ended up declining uh, that, that very generous offer, I sent my, I sent, uh, my friends this link of uh, something called Burning the Boats. So the story sure. of the Spanish conquistador, Hernan Cortes, that ordered his soldiers to like burn the ships. So there's no, no going back to Spain. We need to win the battle against uh, you know, the, the Aztec Empire. And the, you know, the, the story is that they ended up winning. You know, they burnt the ships, which mentally gave them this edge of, well, we have to move forward. There's no, there's no going back. So that sure. was kind of the story of, of me and my two partners where we left, you know, cushy, you know, jobs in the corporate world to launch, launch our startup. So there was no, there's no return. Uh, and at the same time, the brand story is something we tell our customers, well, there's no going back to this analog world. Yeah, interesting. The whole op- operating system of an organization is, is going to need to evolve. Uh, and one based on ad- adaptability, just because of the rate of change in the market. So it's kind of the, the brand story that we that, that we communicate, and as well as kind of the founding story of, of our firm. No, that makes a lot of sense. So how do you guys work with companies and, and basically modernize them in a, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's a consulting firm, right? So it's not. There's no cookie cutter method of doing it, but we do have a our own our own methodology that, okay. that we do apply. It's just that the solution often changes depending on the context of the business. Be it if you're a retailer, a manufacturer, or a technology company, uh, it's it's different tools, different techniques needed. But the way that we kind of abstract that at a higher level is something called uh, strategic planning. Okay. So the, our our main offering is sitting down with the company's leaders and executives, uh, doing a, a retreat so we can plan ahead for the future, their priorities. But we also we do this using uh, the, the methodology of uh, Agile that we've taken from uh, the world of software development. Sure. The, so to take a step back, when we started our firm, you know, like we're, we were doing strategic planning, but we never, uh, we, we didn't see a method uh, that we'd like, it was all these methodologies from like the 70s and 80s that were very kind of uh, static. Sure. So what we did is that we borrowed from the world of software where Agile is kind of like the, the, the quintessential way of creating a product. Right. Every single technology company, for the most part, uses Agile in, the, in their software development, which is a very iterative, sprint-based method. So we, we took this method and applied it to uh, the concept of strategic planning. And that was basically our big kind of um, key to growth or, or key to launching was, was this method that is uh, one, one that is adaptable Two has a lot more accountability in terms of uh, its objective, objectives and who does what. Sure. And, and, and then three is also measurable. So you're able to actually track the execution of your plan versus more traditional methods where it's like, hey, you know, we did this retreat at the start of the year and then six months later, there's no accountability. You're not really sure on, on progress. And then most people kind of forget what, what the original plan was. So uh, we kind of like devised a way of making sure that it's uh, that it's adaptable and it, and, and it changes based on where the company is and where, where it's going. No, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So walk me through, I, I know you said it's kind of different depending on industry and whatnot, but typically maybe give us a couple examples of, of kind of a before and after scenario with working with you guys. 
Yeah, I'll give you a few. I'll, pr- I'll protect the client base for just for confidentiality. But yeah, sure. Uh, for example, we work with like a multi-channel retailer where uh, this is, I think, two and a half years ago where they hadn't yet launched uh, e-commerce yet. So okay. they, they wanted to do e-commerce. They, they obviously, they were a bit late to the game, but they didn't know how. So when when we when we sat down with them and we did uh, the, the strategic plan with them, what we did is we defined the priorities where they want to go, like to the big three, we call them epics okay. of what you want to achieve within the year. Uh, but then with our method, we also break down uh, something called the backlog, okay. which again, borrowed from, from Agile, is the execution plan, which goes really into detail as to how we're going to do it. So there's this like intersection of strategy and execution that we focus on because we're not just talking about where we're going, uh, but we're also talking about how we're going to get there. Right. So it it, bubble, it bubbles up these organizational constraints of like maybe we're missing people, maybe we're missing the, the capabilities internally or the capital. So in that session, we're able to figure out, hey, you know what, like you don't have the right people in place. So one of the first things that we need to do is hire a uh, an e-commerce director. Okay. So like we're able to figure out that the current people don't have the skill set and then figure out the right path to get there. But as we move along, uh, you know, as months go by and we start working on the plan, we're adjusting it as well during every single sprint, which is which is typically monthly. And that helps us kind of adapt to the reality on the ground. Hey, we hired a director, the, you know, this person is putting together a team, so we're able to execute faster or maybe the opposite, not as fast. So it, again, it, it gives this notion of, adapting to the reality and, uh, of, of, the, of, of, of the organization. And at the same time, if there's a new entrant that comes in or a new platform they want to take advantage of, we don't need to redo you know, the strategic retreat. We're able to do this uh, kind of on the fly in real time. Uh, and ended up being a pretty good success. The, 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 the company's e-commerce uh, program really took off, uh, generated quite a bit of revenue, so they're really happy, and yeah, it continues to be to, to, to be a, a good success for them. Very cool. So you guys help with mergers and acquisitions. How do you work with companies looking to do well to either like buy a company or, or whatnot, or or if they're getting bought? Yeah, so it's um, it goes back to to working at the strategic level. So why we think M and A is important for us is because when we're, when we're working with, with uh, an organization, one of the toolkits at their disposal is, you know, uh, you know buying, buying companies, for instance, right? So we, we're working it from two sides. So on the, on the buy side, we often get approached from investors, so like okay. private equity firms, some of the largest in the country that approach us to say, um, you know, we're looking to invest X in this, in this technology company. Can you guys give us, give it a look and tell us what do you think about the, their tech stack? What do you think about their, their customer acquisition? What do you think about their strategy? And then so we give them uh, an agnostic uh, viewpoint from our perspective. You know, what's good, what's bad, what's ugly? How much do we think the company's worth? So we're approaching it as, uh, as independently as we can to give the investor kind of a, a, a viewpoint from people that work that have worked in, in tech their whole their whole career, so our team kind of comes in with a kind of multi prong, multidisciplinary approach to help evaluate you know the targets that they're looking to invest in. But at the same time, our, our, our uh, on the so that's on the on the uh, buy side, on the sell side, a lot of our customers are potentially looking to you know to be acquired. They're looking for other uh, other avenues of growth, so they're looking to acquire. So we kind of play the more investment banking side. 
of the equation as well. So we've had a, quite a few deals this year. So we've we've been able to grow the M&A practice on our side, uh, but again, always with a focus on tech. So we're not trying to expand outside of that that core. Um, and we think it's it's a growing segment that that uh, we want to specialize in. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I guess the one thing that I've always kind of fascinating about the whole space is how do you decide when to sell your company? I, I get asked that sometimes, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. And, and how do you advise your clients uh, about that? Oh, that's a, that's a really <laughs> it's a long, uh, complicated question. So first off, there is no single answer. Sure. Right? There is no like if you if you know if you hit this kind of ratio or this kind of like profitability, it's time it's time to sell. Like it honestly, it really boils down to a large component of it that often gets overlooked. Is just the human side. Okay. Right? So it's like the people that started it. Like, what was their main uh, objective in starting it? Did they want to build like a, a nice lifestyle business that you know they can uh, generate uh, income and ha- you know and and be okay, or were they looking to build something a bit more aggressively and and have uh, have some kind of exit, some kind of liquidity event after? Uh, so. It, it's like I said, it's tough to answer it in in general. Sure. It really comes down to more specifics. But like the general guidelines I look at are what what market is the uh, or what industry is the, is the company in? Is there consolidation that's happening? Uh, is it a high growth industry? Uh, so kind of looking at just what is happening in the market, looking at it from just the human side, right? I often see entrepreneurs that they've started the companies. They're like you know they work uh, quite a few years to build it. Building a company, I can attest to this, is, is hard. It's a lot of work, and then you get to, you can you could potentially get tired and emotionally drained, and then they could say, you know what, I've I've had a good run, now I'm, I'm looking to get out. So that could be sometimes reasons for people looking to sell their companies also. Um, and then uh, then the, the last aspect uh, we look at is competition, for instance, right? So sure. if it's a highly competitive market. There's, there could be uh, there could be competitors looking to consolidate or buy uh, you know smaller companies that are that are that are in competition with or merging with complementary offerings. So that often has a dynamic uh, that that comes into play as well. Interesting. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you guys also have your own platform. Do you want to talk about what exactly that is and and why you guys built that? Sure. Yeah. So we have our own to, comp- to further complicate things. We also have a software. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but I think it all ties together, right? It, like it makes a lot of it sense. It does. It does. Yeah. It's not. We're not selling like a separate, a separate software that's not related. It really is tied back to our core offering, uh, Kevin. That I was telling you about, which is strategic planning. Right. So when we started, uh, when we developed that our method using Agile, we started doing it in Excel. So like in Google spreadsheets, essentially. Right. And the feedback from our customers was overwhelmingly positive, and that gave us an idea. It's like, okay, well, instead of like working in Excel. How do we, you know, why don't, why don't we build a software platform to help track and monitor the execution of uh, our customer strategic plans? Right. Uh, so we, we found this gap in the market that we, this type of software doesn't really exist. So uh, we developed a platform and it really comes tied today with our, with our professional service. Okay. At first, I think we had ambitions of potentially selling it standalone. Uh, but today, given how complex uh, running the strategic plan is, it is tied really to our core offering. There are some simple versions of uh, strategic planning software out there, but it's all it's all based on these very I want to say archaic methods. Okay. So there's none that uses our 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 method that's based on agile. 
so that was really kind of, it really goes back to our core philosophy of, you know, helping our customers get results and performance. We're, we're not, we're not focused on writing long winded reports and like drawing Venn diagrams. We're much more about getting, getting stuff done. Um, and that for me is helping our customers track something in a platform that they have access to that's it's much more real time rather than playing for long, long-winded reports that end up sitting on a shelf and gathering dust. Sure. So we think it's where, where the future is headed is going to be much more in terms of these, these types of platforms, even at the strategic level. And we see less focus on you know traditional things like a SWOT analysis, for instance, right? right. That today, a lot of people still use, but I think over time, it's going to be a much more data-driven approach where software is going to help inform you on your strategy uh, and help you identify, let's say, competitive threats or huge market opportunities in a much more dynamic and algorithmic fashion. No, I, I think that's interesting. So you mentioned something to me when we talked a, a little while ago that I, I keep thinking about heavily and I wanted to kind of cover it here. You, your comment to me or, or a version of your comment was, so many companies are looking to adopt technology, but they don't really think of it as like a high level and how it's going to actually affect their organization and how do they stay current with that technology. So do you want to talk about how you actually work with companies to actually implement technology? Because, you know, it's one thing to just say like everybody can bring their iPads or everybody's getting an iPad across the country or the company or, or some other technology, but yeah, you're adopting technology, but you're not really adopting technology. Do you, do you know what I'm getting at there? Yeah, yeah. So I completely agree. So like the, what I think is, what I often see is this uh, something called like the uh, shiny object syndrome. Sure, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. There, there are new things that pop up, you know, new new platforms like, hey, we need to get on the Snapchat thing yeah. like, that, are, that are concerned. It's like, well, at the same time, you don't have a working website or yeah, a very yeah, good yeah. website. Uh, so for me, it all comes back to like the context of the business, right? Okay. So like today, for instance, uh, artificial intelligence is all the rage. And right. everyone's talking about, oh, I need an AI strategy. Sure, I'm not trying to, to, to belittle AI. It's, gonna, it's fundamentally uh, transformational for like almost every area of society. Sure. But for organizations, they need to take a step back and say, this is a tool. And like, how can this tool help our, our existing strategy? How can we, ha- how can it help us get to where we want to go rather than, you know, the, the tail wagging the dog and saying, we need AI and we need to fit it in somehow. Yeah, <laughs> um, fair. So the, the approach we have is how can it help? Uh, how can this technology help? What do you need from an organizational capability to, 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 to get it, to basically get it done? And, and then what's the, what's the business case, right? Because you need, it needs to be tied to some kind of return, some kind of like strategic goal uh, for it to financially be viable, right? So it's still this whole capitalism that we live in, it needs to have some kind of dollars and cents attached to it. Uh, so for, for it to be justified, to, to, to be acted upon. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I think, at least in my experience, a lot of companies miss the boat on that, right? They just think, they, they almost chase their tail to your point where it's like, oh, everybody has uh, a digital assistant on their website, so we need one. It's like, well, maybe you do, but maybe you don't. But you need to figure out what technologies you're going to adopt and not adopt, and you also might adopt technologies that just don't convert for you for whatever reason, right? It's almost like picking social media platforms. Like, 
sure, you should probably be on them all, but if you don't get enough traction from a few of them, you should stop being on them, And right? And, and I get that's a very simplified version of what we're talking about here, but I think that philosophy can be applied to anything in, in technology and when you're adopting it, because in, in a lot of cases, you should be on what works and you shouldn't be on the stuff that doesn't work. Is that fair to say? And is that kind of what you guys believe in? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's definitely part of our philosophy is you have to, you can't, you can't have a shotgun approach. Okay. Um, even even the larger companies can't have a shotgun approach. You need to be more focused on what is working for you. Sure. For me, what it what it ties back down to, like if I if I abstract it at a higher level, it comes back down to the customer, right? Because okay. the, the notion of technology is is, is very. Uh, it, it, how should I say, it's very malleable. For me, okay. if we want to have it make it make more sense, so like the conversation is grounded, uh, it comes back to how do we help satisfy the customer experience. Right. And then that could be technology, that could be people, it could be any different ways. So like I'll give you a simple example, one that I like of, of, of a company that I respect that I think everyone kind of knows, right, which is Amazon. Sure. Uh, the, the example I like from them is that their, their core strategy is always focusing on the customer experience. Sure. Right, F- through... Uh, obviously, through all the different businesses that they have. So, have you heard of uh, one of their products called the Amazon Fire Phone? Yep, yep. So, like, obviously, the famous story here is they launched a phone. They saw that uh, Apple and Google had taken over the smartphone uh, kind of segment, and they're like, we can't let these companies dominate. Uh, in, in you know, and be so close to our customers, we have to find a way to get in, right? So the, with much fanfare and much investment, they developed their own smartphone called the Fire Phone, which I think ended up costing them like four hundred million dollars. And you know, the, famously, the president was on stage talking about it. Within a year and a half, that project was shuttered and kind of like closed off, right? So that forced them to go back to the drawing board, say, okay, listen, we try to get close to our customer via this, you know, the, the, the smartphone, uh, the smartphone technology, but we failed. Yep. And it was a question of timing. We were way too late. What else can we do and that, to, to get close to our customers? So they looked at the, the customer's homes and they saw, like, hey, there's, there's no one in, in the home. So they developed the, the smart speaker, yep. uh, which, is, which is called the Amazon Echo. And today, obviously, is, is a smashing success sure. with 80% market share. Uh, so we had to learn that failure uh, with the Amazon Fire Phone to be able to innovate with the, the Amazon Echo, right? So it goes back to another notion of like, there's nothing venture, there's nothing gain. So sure, $400 million for Amazon, like sounds like a lot, but for Amazon, it's actually not a lot of money. It's a very, very small percentage of their total revenues. So what small amount of, or what percentage of, your budget, can you dedicate to, to trying to be innovative? Again, tied back to the customer experience, tied back to what you're trying to achieve. And if you're, if you're able to succeed on that, I think it could be transformational for a company. So that's how I, I tend to think about it rather than, hey, how does this technology, you know, uh, how do we just look at technology standalone? I always try and apply to how can it help the customer experience, which is obviously tied to the core business model of the company. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And to be fair, Amazon on that phone tried a bunch of, uh, I guess what turned out to be kind of gimmicks with like you could tilt the phone and it would show you different angles of maps and 
and one I actually got to play with one in in LA once and it was inter- there was some interesting ideas there but I I think it just it was a little bit too gimmicky but you're right they they tried something right and sure it failed but it could have been successful right we have no idea and like their their yeah. fire tablets have been really successful and their little TV kind of Chromecast competitors and their little other devices that they've built have been wildly successful not just alexa so you know to have one failure out of a handful isn't sure obviously they want to get it right every time but they've tried other stuff that they probably learned from that experience and and moved it into other products like alexa and and a handful of other things that they've been successful at yeah exactly exactly so it's it goes back to you have to take swings at the bat for it to work sure particularly when it comes to more, uh, more on the technology side, it's not always going to work. So there's going to be, you're going to have to have some room for failure. If you're not doing it today, and it's not part of your DNA. You need, you need to have this, this willingness to experiment and, and fail. So that, I think that's the case for more, I want to say traditional organizations that haven't yet adapted to, to this change. When it comes to a technology organization like Amazon, well, for them, it's, uh, it's it's baked into the DNA. They have to be constantly pushing the envelope, just because of the how rapid those cycles are. So it goes back to your question of like, okay, how do we think about technology for our customers? How does how should they apply it? It's for me the the key notion here is one of speed and velocity. Sure. Because the markets are like when it comes to technology companies, right? Like like a famous Canadian example of RIM, right? Like RIM yeah. was a leader in smartphone and they had this amazing success, but then all of a sudden overnight it felt like overnight they they were off the map, right? Yep. But it was actually not overnight, right? I, the iPhone launched in uh, two thousand seven. Yep. At that time, RIM had three billion in revenues. In 2011, their revenues were 19 billion. So four years <laughs> after the iPhone launched, yep. they had made like 6x in terms of size. But then the kind of reverse happened after. So after 2011, all the revenue crashed, right? So the, it's the notion of, of, of cycle speed is one that a technology company has to take into account. Sure. So what's happening now is that the, this whole notion of speed and velocity is going to start permeating beyond just pure te- technological industries, right? So beyond just let's say the 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 the, the pure digital side, like the Google and the Facebook, it's going to start happening now. We're seeing it now in automotive, right? Sure. The Tesla is more of a it's more of a software than it is a car, almost. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, it's more like a gadget, right? It, exactly. So yeah. like every single industry is going to be impacted. So this notion of you can't just plan five years out. You have to be able to be adaptable. So like the key, the, the, the key skill set for any organization, uh, I believe, in this century is going to be how quickly can you adapt to change sure. in essence, right? So I think everyone kind of gets this, this tech and technology thing is important. It's not going away. It's just the, the fact that it's accelerating now. Yeah. So you have to be able to, how do I change my organization on, a, on an ongoing basis? How do I swap in the right people? How do I swap in the right technology platforms in order to be adaptable? So I don't think what we do is a panacea. I don't think it's solving the, the overall problem or that, sure. that I'm posing to you, but it's looking at it from one specific angle, which is company strategy. How do we look at that from a strategy perspective? So I think it can have a pretty big impact, but it's not going to solve for all uh, a company's challenges that I just mentioned. No, I, I, I think you're right. And I also think that 
a lot of the companies that are literally trying to put themselves out of business by building their own technology and or buying companies that are basically trying to put them out of business, I, I think are the companies that are going to survive, right? And the thing that I find funny, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on, is the the word pivot seems to have such a negative connotation in in a lot of cases. But I think companies that have been successful for decades or hundreds of years have pivoted more times than they could probably remember. Like, it doesn't have to be a negative word. Like, companies need to adapt and change all the time and call it pivot, call it whatever you want. But those are the companies that have been around for 100 years or, or decades. They've evolved, and you have to evolve. Is that fair to say? Exactly, yeah. It's a, it's a fair statement. There's quite a few uh, companies that, like you said, the word pivot, I think, comes uh, laden with so much kind of like good and bad, like particularly in the startup space. Yeah. Like, oh, we're pivoting, right? But it's like if you're constantly pivoting, <laughs> what exactly are you doing, right? So it yeah. like goes back to what, what are you solving for? Sure. For larger organizations, uh, it becomes a bit more challenging, right? So if you look at existing business models, sometimes business models go out of date and it's just normal that entire industries will disappear. So with, without being... Uh, without being too, how should I say, uh, rough here, newspapers and print will disappear. Like there's just a better mechanism of delivering news to you. Sure. There's the whole social aspect that I, that I don't want to like uh, belittle, but like investigative journalism has to find a better business model than uh, being advertising based, right? So if you're sure. a newspaper today and you're relying on ad dollars, well, you're not going to win against Google or Facebook. So you need to find another way to monetize. Sure. Uh, so the pivoting is, in this case is absolutely crucial for them to just survive. Sure. <laughs> um, the same thing could be applied if you look at, let's say, you know, a blockbuster. You know, they tried. They tried to buy Netflix. They tried to build their own streaming service. Yep. But they encountered too much inertia within their own organization. So they weren't able to pivot, uh, quote unquote, fast enough to adapt to, uh, to, to the new world. But other companies have been able to do it, right? So there, there, are, there are quite a few examples of companies that have succeeded and, and been able to adapt and thrive. Uh, actually, it's funny that the reverse example is true for Netflix. We were at first a DVD company, right? Yep. They were shipping DVDs, like how analog is that, right? Yeah. And then they pivoted the whole business model to streaming. To, to basically to take advantage of the internet. So again, it, 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 you, you, you can see it on both sides. It could be a really good thing or a really bad thing. No, it makes sense. So how do you guys work with, you know, basically the owners or the partners or, or the high-level management teams to actually get them thinking about adopting new technology? Because I think sometimes... Um, some some people at all ages really are just like, ah, what I'm doing now works and we're just going to keep going. But you can clearly see and there's going to be people in an organization that can clearly see that maybe that'll get them another three, five, maybe 10 years. But beyond that, they might not have a business. So how do you convince them that they need to start thinking about this stuff now so they can survive long term? Yeah, it's a good question. The, the way I look at it in broad strokes is uh, is just trying to paint it back to what the the, you know, the business context. Instead of instead of talking in in in, in shiny object terms, we okay. try and relate it back to to just like financial uh, numbers and like business context, right? So like instead of trying to to wow people or like put this kind of veil of 
technology trends, like yeah. we don't talk about AI or blockchain or is that, what, how is it going to impact your core business model? How is it going to impact the, the value chain, right? So right. for instance, right now we're working with a, a, a large dairy producer and look at uh, how different distribution channels uh, are impacting their business, be it e-commerce or new, new emergent models like meal kits, for instance. Right. So for there, we're not, we're not trying to talk about you know, the technology platform. We're saying, here's how you're potentially losing market share to these players and how you can adapt to them. Right. And it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, you know, it's 80-year-old plus organization, but they're able to understand, understand it really from a distribution, from a value chain perspective. Uh, so it just it comes back to speaking people in their, in their language. I know it sounds simple. Um, and obviously, we need to have also built a relationship of trust uh, at that level. So when you're working with uh, the C-suite, um, we're often exposed to deep strategic challenges, like obviously financial figures. So you have to you have to speak speak your mind. You can't like you can't BS people, and you have to you have to be able to to, to build again a, a, a rapport of trust. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I just think like sometimes it seems so interesting to me how some companies just fight it so hard and you're like i understand it at a certain level but at the same time you're just like you're gonna die off if you don't adapt <laughs> some of these things right like that's the reality of it and you watch these big companies sometimes where you and maybe i'm a little biased because i i get to talk to innovative companies and you know, all the time, and you just think about some of the big guys, and you're like, these guys will probably destroy that entire industry, or somebody like them will destroy that entire industry, and you're going to have thousands of people potentially out of jobs if, but maybe they should just buy that company, right, and figure it yeah. out, and it's just, it's interesting to watch and just see that, right, so I'm always curious to yeah. talk to people like yourself that actually almost get to talk to both sides the the big companies and the young companies that are almost competing together right so it's always yeah. fascinating to to hear your insight and your thoughts on on that kind of stuff yeah no absolutely so you mentioned like acquisition for instance i think that's one one area the bigger companies can can can, can potentially learn from besides for instance with unilever where they bought like dollar shape club sure which had built a direct consumer business and they bought them for like a, a something like a billion dollars um, but i think that one of the things that there's misunderstood is these big companies are not run by stupid people right like, yeah they're interesting extremely intelligent and know what is going on most of the time sure what they're confronted with though is there, when you have a large organization, well, you end up, the whole organization from the org chart to the structure is built on an existing business model. And it's all the incentives within the company is to satisfy, you know, the, the widget that we're building, right? Or the, sure. the service that we're providing, right? So when you need to change uh, something that's like of a certain size, well, it's, a, it's, it's daunting for anyone. Uh, so like, and the mindset is always like, how do we reproduce this widget, for instance, sure. versus thinking about potential alternatives, but that would require a whole different set of skills, right? So I think that's sure. where, where the challenge lies is these people are not dumb. It's just they're confronted with having to change an aircraft carrier versus smaller companies that are, you know, a little bit like jet boats, right? They're able sure. to turn and pivot very, very quickly. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And then realistically, 
if you're a multi-billion dollar company and you have thousands of employees and your business model's been working, how do you retrain people, right? Like even just retraining people, as complicated as that is, that's just one thing you need to do out of potentially hundreds of things you need to do across your organization. And that's really costly. And you might have people that don't want to learn new things and people that really do and everywhere in between. And so just dealing with that one issue out of many issues is a huge daunting task, right? That's what you're getting at, right? Yeah, the, the notion of culture is one that's it's very tough to change, right? So like sure. the best definition I've heard of culture is like what people say when the, you know, the, the boss is not around, right? Like yeah. when people are talking on their own, I think that's the true uh, kind of the depiction of what culture is. Sure. So there's different there's different methods to be able to try and change your culture. I think one you, you spoke about it before is this kind of notion of ongoing learning and ongoing training. So exposing people to to new stuff that's happening, right? So like and across all different levels, um, there is this understanding of hey, what is what is new in the market and how can we maybe take advantage of, of new technologies or new or, or new ways of doing business. Um, there's also the notion of communication for me. That's really important, right? So like going back to like, Hey, if we, if we are, if we do want to make a change, we do want to make a pivot in this, in this new area, the one way to assure or increase the chance of success is by con- con- continuously repeating what we're doing and where we're going. Sure. So the notion of everyone in the organization has to understand what the vision is so we can have an alignment so we can, again, increase the chances of <laughs> we're able to, to get to it. Like, if you, I'd be, you're surprised if, when I work with companies like in, lar- in, in a larger in a larger organization, if you ask like the 500th employee down the chain, like, hey, you know what the top two priorities are for this year? Like, ch- more chances than not that they don't know how to articulate what they sure. are. So you have to have a very kind of like words matter. So yeah, a simple explanation of what we're trying to do. And it goes back to this thing of avoiding buzzwords, right? So instead of saying, hey, this year we're going to have uh, artificial intelligence strategy so we can increase our excellence or whatever it is, like no one's going to understand what that really means versus sure. say, hey, we're going to build a web platform to increase customer response time by 10%, right? Sure. Or something, something to that effect. Then it gets simple. Then it gets uh, it's measurable. People know what it is, uh, and then you're just everyone's going to be rowing in the same direction. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's also got to be challenging, though. If if somebody's at an organization and they've been doing the same job for decades, and then obviously you have somebody that's maybe only been at the company months or a couple of years doing a different type of job, like how do you pivot a company so? both people feel comfortable and included, right? It's got to be a huge challenge. And ev- and all the people in between that, right? Of course, yeah, of course. So it's like there is, there is no magic formula here. It's a question of it really starts at the top, essentially leadership. Sure. Uh, so like the, the CEO, he or she has to kind of set the example, right? The, the, where what I often see as a challenge is like, hey, we're going to do this like quote-unquote digital transformation and then they give it to like, you know, three departments below when it gets like huddled in the corner and like, all the CEO cares about is just saying that we're working on this cool new project sure. versus ele- elevating it to like the highest degree uh, of, of authority, right? So it's like discussed at the board, discussed at every, let's say, uh, weekly strategy meeting to really be able to track progress. Like if, if it starts there, 
the rest follows yeah, because then it's going to get passed on to like the CEO, the C-suite, the VPs, etc. So and it's not the only thing that needs to happen, but I think it's one of the key things that if that doesn't, then the rest doesn't follow. Yeah, no, that's true because I've, well, we've all been at companies where you, you're off at a retreat for a day or a couple days or whatever it is. And then two weeks later, everything you talked about is kind of like, it was like, what's the point of having that retreat, right? And so your guys' approach of, of having tools in place to kind of track that progress throughout the year and adapt through kind of an agile methodology makes a lot of sense, right? Because I think a lot of people, you know, it, it's like this hype session and then two weeks later, you're back doing the same thing and and everything that was talked about was a nice idea, but never actually gets implemented. Yeah, exactly. I'm obviously biased. Sure, <laughs> it's yeah. Our method, it's our way of working, but I've seen enough times to see it work. So even even with our method, I think uh, this advice really holds true for, for, for any company leader. Is like thinking about how do you create this wiggle room to be able to adapt on an ongoing basis. So I think it's, it's really key. Uh, to, to have success, and it really is beyond just technology. It's like people's habits are changing so much faster. Your, your customers are really changing because of this technology thing. So it's again it goes back to like thinking about your customer and this like feedback loop mechanism. How can we get feedback from our customer that will inform what we're doing, and then that will create this next feedback loop of like continuous improvement all along the different uh, areas of operation of the company. Sure. So how do you guys make sure that you guys stay current as a company so you can offer those solutions to your customers? It's a good question. Yeah, sometimes I feel overwhelmed. There's just so much information, right? So sure. how do you digest info? How do you stay up to date? Uh, you know, we, we follow our own, you know, and eat our own dog food. You know, we sure. use our own methodology for, for our own company, even though we're, you know, we're a small boutique firm. Um, we, we, we obviously try and have that notion of adaptability and also thinking about the customer journey. Right? So when we work with our customers, what are the different touch points that we have with them? Uh, so how do we improve uh, what we're doing with them? Right? So for, for us, the, this internal project of, of, of mapping the customer journey is one that's always ongoing. So thinking back, like where, where can we improve? Is there, are there more insights that we can provide to our customers based on, the, on their strategy execution? But at the same time, this notion of like, okay, continuously reading, learning, training, so we know what is happening in the market. Uh, so we're, we're on top of trends as they're happening and not behind. No, that makes a lot of sense. But we're coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention. Absolutely, yeah. So people can find more information on our website, so thepnr.com. Uh, or uh, you can add me on LinkedIn or I'm active on Twitter uh, at Nectarios is my, my full Greek name. Uh, so anywhere, uh, anywhere online, you should be able to, to get in touch if you want. Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. It was a blast. Thanks very much. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.